from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Uh, it's a pretty quiet week for economic data, so I'm going to be watching earnings. This yep. is the first week where we get a, a decent number of reports across uh, different industries. You know, so far we've had uh, about a 75% beat rate. That's pretty close to the long-term average. Hopefully, mm-hmm. we can um, maintain that and maybe add, uh, you know, another point to to the earnings growth rate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan and Jeff here, as always. Jeff, there's a ton of things to discuss this week. Um, you know, Bengals victory, Chiefs victory. It looks like we're going head on to each other um, <laughs> in what could be a massive AFC championship. Uh, you know, I'll start with this, Jeff. So the COVID thing's hitting the Dietrich household pretty much. My daughter, who's in the eighth grade, it got her. Um, my one son, Gus, has somehow miraculously avoided it the whole time, um, as far as we know, uh, yet because he's not fully boosted. He got like 15 days after your second booster. He has to stay home all week, <laughs> along with my daughter, who has to be home all week. Um, I don't know. It's the world we're living in. How, how are you guys doing um, from, from that point of view? Because I'm traveling. I'm literally in Springfield, Ohio, as we speak, doing this at my mom's house, which is pretty cool to visit mom. I'm going to go to Columbus for an event. So I'm not even home. And it's not good when the kids are, you know, there and the wife's flying solo. So sorry, Emily. Um, how are you guys doing, though? Yeah, we're, we're doing well. Uh, we we did not completely avoid COVID. My, my 10-year-old got it, but she recovered pretty quickly and good. thankfully did not give it to anyone else. So how the rest of the family avoided it, frankly, I don't know, but uh, I guess we'll we'll take it at this point. Exactly. My daughter was fully vaccinated, but it is what it is. Um, so we'll, we'll move forward here. I'm glad everyone's doing, hopefully, and I know we are fully aware of this explosion in cases and, and anyone out there who's impacted, hopefully you can up. Uh, fight through and, and, and be uh, be healthy and safe um, very, very soon. But Jeff, this week in the podcast, we're going to talk about, a, well, here's our script. Who knows how off script we get, but the, the three big things we want to focus on, um, impending Fed rate hikes. It's looking like the Fed's probably going to hike in March now, what that might mean for stocks and what investors should do. Um, inflation, got a big inflation number last week. Looks like inflation's pretty close to peaking, though, and what that potentially means. Last thing is midterm. It is a midterm year. Midterm elections are on the horizon, not too far away in November, and we're going to talk about historically what tends to happen during a midterm year. So, Jeff, we'll start off with what we have to start off with. Send those text, Bengal fans. It was a very big uh, meme that no Bengal fan had ever sent a text after a Bengals victory. I joked, yeah, but I sent seven texts after losses <laughs> recently. Um, we'll see. The Bengals were decimated on their D-line. It's amazing. All their good players, they had 21 combined sacks out of two guys. Both those guys got hurt that game. So I'm worried how they're going to do without their D-line, but it is what it is. It's football. Everybody's banged up. Uh, your Chiefs looked impressive, though. Are we going to have a Bengals-Chiefs uh, showdown, you think, for the AFC Championship? Wow. I, I'd certainly love to see that. It'd be a real uh, interesting rematch. Um, but to be honest, I'm just worried about getting past Buffalo. Yep. They looked really good against the Patriots and uh, – uh, I think the odds in Vegas are pick them basically mm-hmm. uh, just the home field worth uh, a field goal last I saw. So that, that should be a fun game with, with two great young quarterbacks. 
Absolutely. I think out of all the teams, Buffalo might have been the most impressive. My, oh, my. They they handled the Patriots nicely there. On the YouTube channel, if you watch on the YouTube channel, thank you. Um, you know, Give us a thumbs up. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. I'm sharing the Joe Burrow glasses he wore in the post game. If you didn't get a chance to see it, he set social media on fire with these very unique. Look. Jeff, you have any glasses like that? I could, Maybe you and I should wear glasses like this next week. Just those kind of tan looking, look how cool I am glasses. That'd be funny for the podcast, wouldn't it? <laughs> I actually, I think I have some glasses uh, similar to that that were part of a costume, yeah. believe it or not. So yeah, maybe we break those out in a in a future podcast. Yeah, maybe we need to, but let's uh, we can talk about sports all day, and sometimes we do. But we we are going to move forward, Jeff. It, it um my oh my, you know we do this podcast every week, right? I mean maybe we take a week or so off for some holidays, but for the most part we're doing about fifty of these a year. It sure feels like just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about, ah, I'm not so sure about a hike in March. It's probably going to be May. Jeff, talk to me a little bit. That seems to have changed. Uh, you got multiple Fed members out there talking like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm exaggerating. But the number of hikes that some of them are saying, wow, we pulled almost uh, I don't know, 180 is the right direction to use on this. But we've really changed the tune by the what the Fed is thinking and how soon we get those rate hikes. I mean, March almost seems like a done deal. I, mean, I heard this morning some people were saying 50, 50 uh, basis point hike in March. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly it's changed. Talk, talk to me about this. Yeah, so last week I, I asked our fixed income strategist, you know, what what could the next surprise be, right? Who, and by the I way, was, is Lawrence, Lawrence Gillum, favorite of the show. I mean, right. So, uh, yes, good shout out for Lawrence. And I was thinking, you know, maybe 50 basis points would be it. Um, you know, the market has already started focusing on the Fed's balance sheet and the potential for reducing that balance sheet possibly in the middle to, you know, toward the end of the year. Uh, so this 50 basis point story, that that's really, that might be the last surprise we could get near term, right? I, I just don't see how they could uh, do anything more aggressive at this point than that. So, you know, will it happen? Probably not. Um, mm. I think the Fed still wants to be measured. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, still out there, certainly. And, you know, it doesn't seem like far off, but, you know, March still got a little bit of ways to go before we get there. We do. And I, you know, I think we've talked about this concept before on the podcast, or at least on our morning call with our nearly 20,000 LPL advisors. There's a lot of hawkish talk right now by the Fed, right? So at this point, it is just talk. Now, likely there are some rate hikes coming. But Jeff, you know, could it just be, you know, maybe they're setting things up. If we have a slowdown, we're going to get into the economy and some of the data. I mean, just let me let me see. I've got in front of me just just for one example. This is just one regional um, survey, but the Empire State number, Jeff. I don't have a chance to see this yet. It comes out the manufacturing in New York came in down about one point. All you got to know is it was supposed to be uh, it was thirty two last month. It was supposed to be twenty five. You're, you're, we are seeing some big drops in economic data. Yes, it's COVID. Yes, there are concerns. It is what it is. Is the Fed acting all hawkish? Maybe just to um, casually say, ah, maybe we won't hike quite as much, and that could create more of a soft landing. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but it's potential. There's something there, right? If the economy slows down more, they could say, okay, no more. Maybe just two hikes. I, what's your thought on that? Yeah, the Fed's data dependent, right? And so they're going to look at um, what is set up to be a pretty weak start to the first quarter, yep. largely because of Omicron, yep. and then potentially a little bit of impact from um, uh, rising interest rates, although that typically would take at least a couple of quarters to start filtering through. So we're not going to see growth hit too much by tighter financial conditions um, you know, in Q1, but uh, 
Sure. The, the, the economy is, uh, you know, going through a little bit of a soft patch. And so the Fed's going to see that when they make their decision on what to do uh, in March. And, um, you know, that's why you, you might see a quarter point, probably not going to see uh, 50, at least uh, that's my take right now. Yeah, just like a real world example, right, of things kind of slowing down, people not traveling as much. This is like first world problems here. When I get the fly, more often than not, I get bumped up to first class anymore because I have so much, you know, so many flights and stuff. I'm getting like first class, Jeff, like every time I fly anymore and there's all these seats open. What does that tell you? You know, what is someone listening? Well, maybe people aren't flying, not paying for it. But like executives that fly more often aren't flying as well. And I'm noticing that the last couple of weeks. I mean, I, I said last week, the Charlotte Airport, I've never seen the Charlotte Airport is dead on a weekday at like 730. There's a Bojangles right in the middle of the Charlotte Airport. It's like the world's most Crowded Bojangles, that's, for those who don't know, a fried chicken place in the South. Very popular. Put that chicken on a biscuit, some sweet sweet tea. Oh, man, you're living in the South, and it's good. But what I'm getting at is the line wasn't even long at Bojangles. I mean, it is. there are some legit things taking place here um, that, that do say there's a little bit of a slowdown. You see the hotel numbers, air, air, airline numbers. These things are, are showing that maybe the, the economy is slowing down um, you know, a little bit faster than maybe we thought. And again, it opens the door. Maybe the Fed can pull things back a little bit. But Jeff, let's just move forward. Um, good discussion there. And I, you know, we did kind of talk about the economy a little bit there. I know we wanted to later, but we, we, you know, we wing this sometimes. Um, Jeff, talk to me about a higher 10-year yield. I mean, the biggest, I think the biggest surprise this year you know, I don't know what, what your opinion is. Um, maybe the biggest surprise, the Bengals are still in the playoffs. Second biggest surprise is the move in the 10-year yield has just been enormous. And as a result, banks and financials are by far one of the best groups. Energy, because crude oil doesn't go down anymore, is also. So it's all about Finergy, financials and energy this year. But historically, Jeff, stocks do pretty good when the 10-year yield goes up. Talk, talk to me about that. Sure. Well, you know, normally the the Tenure yields rising because economic growth expectations are improving. Yep. Well, this is a little bit different, of course, because we have the COVID-driven inflation problem, and you know growth expectations are actually coming down a bit, um, at least certainly in the near term. Maybe not so much about Q2 through Q4, um, but uh, the, I mean, there's no doubt that some of this rate, or maybe a, a good bit of it. Uh, of this rate move is is driven by an inflation and not necessarily uh, the growth picture. <clears throat> but over meaningful periods of time, stocks and yields move higher together, typically. And we certainly do not believe this is a 1970s style stagflation environment. The growth environment, the growth outlook is just too good for that. And it certainly, you know, you could even conservatively say half of our inflation problem is COVID related, largely transitory factors. Do I have to put money in the in the Fed square yep. jar for for yeah. that transitory? Yeah, you do. You just, said, you just said a bad word. At least you're right, a bad word. Bostic in the Atlanta. You know, Atlanta. I have a different definition maybe of, uh, of of transitory than the Fed does. I think you know you could say that it's you know going to last uh, over a year, but nonetheless, it's it's still coming. Uh, we're still going to come to a point where these issues don't drive inflation higher. Uh, and um, by the end of the year, I mean even consensus right now is below three percent inflation by the end of the year. Um, you know, whether it's a little over three, a little below three, the trajectory to us is clear. It'll be heading lower. Uh, and that, um, you know, we think will provide a better uh, environment for stocks. So actually, let me turn that around, Ryan, and ask you a question. I think a lot of people are talking about this. Do you think the second half of the year is going to be better for stocks because it's going to take at least the next several months to adjust to the, you know, the rate move, the Fed, uh, and, and maybe get past this latest wave of COVID? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah, great point there. And I know we're talking about midterm years in a little bit here, but it does make sense after the huge rally we've seen. Scott Brown, a technician on the team, been on, the, been on this podcast a few times. Who, By the way, it is uh, Scott's birthday, Jeff. Did you know that by chance? Uh, I, did, uh, I, I did see a little meme going yeah. around yeah. <laughs> about that, uh, which was quite funny. Yeah, I, I guess Scott's age is, uh, is trending higher. It's, it's breaking out to new highs. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess we all are, right? That's one thing. <laughs> That's one way to look at a breakout. We're all we're all going higher every single day with our age. Um, but anyway, so Scott's been pointing out that, that that very thing from a technical point of view, we've got some potential internal weakness. He and I actually do a, a different uh, podcast video called The Five Charts with LPL Research. You can find that on our YouTube channel. Um, but but Scott pointed out the fact that, you know, he wouldn't be very, Scott said this, wouldn't be surprised if S&P is kind of near this level in four or five months from now. You know, again, there's going to be different sectors that go up, different sectors. Just like go down, but kind of this choppy sideways action. Honestly, not too abnormal for a midterm year. Midterm years tend to be kind of choppy, frustrating until you get to the end of the year, and then you get, you know, Santa Claus comes to town, but the election gets out of the way, the uncertainty of the election. All those things kind of do make sense. Then again, if someone's been tilted toward cyclical value, financials, energy, they're feeling really good. If you've been in the high, um, you know, the high beta momentum names, uh, high high growth, high uh, PE multiples, you're probably singing a much different tune right now. And that's, again, it's called the stock market, but it's really a market of stocks, right? And that's kind of the way to um, to look at it. So there's going to be some winners and losers, but I guess put a bow on this <laughs> before I just rant on forever. Um, yeah, it makes sense that, you know, we could have a little more weakness, a um, little more consolidation, and that could be perfectly normal after gaining nearly 30% on a total return basis last year. Just real quickly on the YouTube channel, we are sharing what historically has happened during periods of a higher 10-year yield. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The last seven times back to the mid-90s when the 10-year yield was going higher, stocks, being the S&P 500, have gained every single time. Yes, this time there is inflation and COVID, but still, if the 10-year yield continues to go higher, maybe the economy can improve uh, the second half of this year and justify the bull market, which we still think is alive and well. So, Jeff, uh, the first rate hike is probably coming pretty soon, <laughs> given the, our discussion earlier. If the first rate hike comes in March, I don't have a clue what day it is. I just know it's sometime in March. Should we uh, sell everything and just watch basketball, or should we not panic um, with the first rate hike? Tell me what stocks usually do around that. Well, I, we can probably watch basketball and watch uh, stocks do well. I would say, because you, uh, you, you know, those watching on on YouTube can see that you know, on average, uh, one year after the start of a Fed rate hike cycle, stocks are up um, uh, almost eleven percent. And uh, what is that? Eight for eight, right? Mm -hmm. Up yeah. during that twelve month period, the last eight cycles going back to the early '80s. So, uh, you, you know, the Fed will only hike if the economy, in their minds, can can withstand it. So you really have to have a decent economic growth picture um, to justify that hike. And, you know, it's not going to be any different in March. So um, uh, after that hike, uh, we think, you know, this bull market has a, a ways to run. Certainly this tells you that uh, there's a good chance that stocks go higher in that first year. Uh, but actually, we think that, um, you know, that's not going to be the end of the story, right? The more gains uh, from there and, and they could be big gains. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, another key concept is the average returns about 11% looking back to the first hikes going back to the early 80s. But there are a lot of them a year later, up 2%, 1%, 2%, 6%, 5%. Some of those more choppy, more sideways, positive, yes. But massive gains, no. We had a big run in the late 80s and a big run in the late 90s when the Fed was hiking. Um, so just kind of have some, some of those, just kind of have those um, 
expectations in there that stocks will probably be higher in a, in a year. But um, you know, potentially it might not be massively higher. But if the economy stays strong and earnings, you know, Jeff, it is earnings season. It's early. I mean, let's talk about earnings. How have earnings season been? I saw some banks have big big sell offs on Friday. Um, was it something they said or something else going on? Or, or earnings seasons like literally the first inning? But how's it looking so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's very early. Um, yeah. We I think we've had barely a couple dozen stocks report or companies report, and most of those were um, uh, November quarter ends. So uh, you know the banks uh, it looks like it was largely around expenses. The um, you know and the market is not going to give too much credit to banks for reserve releases, right? They set up a lot of reserves last year for the pandemic. They didn't really need them. They, you know, pulled back on them and that goes straight back to the bottom line. So, um, you know, that was part of the reason why I think uh, the market didn't like JP Morgan's results. But, um, you know, the loan growth uh, for all of the banks that reported, I actually thought was was pretty good. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily, um, I mean, I wouldn't use those results to, to suggest that we're going to have a bad earnings season. Uh, not at all. Uh, but maybe you'd have to say that because the bank stocks did really well leading up to earnings season, that they got a little bit ahead of themselves. And um, those expenses, you know, it's a tough expense environment, not just for banks, but for really all companies, labor, materials, uh, transportation, all of that. So, you know, as we wrote about in um, our earnings preview, our weekly market commentary, which you can find on LPL.com, uh, we're probably not going to see the upside that we've seen in recent quarters because that cost environment uh, has gotten tougher. Yeah, I know we were talking like maybe 22% year-over-year earnings growth. I think I saw it's coming in around 23 now. Now a lot more have to uh, are going to report, but a little little more muted instead of the massive beats we've seen in in earnings. I did see Jeff um, the note that if you energy is a huge reason why because it was like negative a year ago, so now it's really gaining. But if you take out energy, S and P's up about 15% earnings year over year. But you know, hey, it's like taking away Michael Jordan from the Bulls or something. Of course, you're not going to do as well when you take away the star. But every quarter is going to be a star. But still. Just be aware that energy is a, a big part of that. So, Jeff, let's also take a look at um, how long this can go, right? You talked about uh, the next year. Stocks do okay. Um, all in all, I think you could say um, it's not bearish, right, <laughs> when the Fed hikes. Likely when the Fed starts to hike, it means you're more mid-cycle. Likely means maybe more in the middle of a cycle. There's probably a couple more years. I mean, in the weekly commentary that we're just releasing later today on Tuesday, right? Everyone got yesterday off to so release our weekly commentary. I know you've got this chart we're sharing on the YouTube channel, but just how much longer could there be, Jeff, after this hike um, for this bull market? Yeah, th this this harkens back to one of the my favorite weekly commentaries we've ever done. We we did uh, in 2014 when the Fed was starting its rate hike cycle or about to. Uh, we did a piece called "Ready Set Hike" with a lot of uh, football analogies. Surprise to our listeners that, that that we would like the the football analogies. It, it's it was actually. It was great. So I went back and reread that and, um, you know, and pulled this study, updated it. Uh, and it tells you kind of where you are in the cycle or where you are in the bull market based on the first hike. Right. So where are you in the bull market? Well, you've got about, you know, three and a quarter years to go. And on average, and about 67% more to go in the S&P 500 uh, cumulatively. That, that is a lot of upside after the first rate hike. Um, if you uh, want to look at it in terms of the, the um, economic expansion, it puts you at about 40% done. So if we follow those averages 
there are a lot of gains yet to come and a lot of economic growth uh, yet to come uh, over the next several years. And frankly, that I think aligns with our views in LPR mm -hmm. research that we will have several more years of bull market, several more years of um, economic growth before uh, we potentially uh, topple into recession. So I think this is a really good um, analysis to uh, keep in mind as the market here potentially sells off on fears of Fed rate hikes. Uh, great points there. Obviously, I think it's in this May is when the, the new economic cycle of growth will reach two years old, right? March and April of 2020, we were in a two-month recession and the economy left that. Um, so let's say the Fed hikes rates in March, approximately. Uh, could we have three more years of economic growth? Probably could. The average cycle of growth, going back to World War II, is just over five years. So again, two plus three is five, we could be right about average. And this could be uh, playing out um, potentially once again. Jeff, did you see though the GDP, um, the, the Atlanta Fed, I'll never get this right. What's it called? The um, the Atlanta GDP now for the fourth quarter is, I'm gonna say down to 5% GDP at gee, it was like seven or 8%, not too long ago. We thought that was a little frothy. Um, I mean, that's coming back to earth though. So again, what's your take on that? At just some of the recent, uh, let's talk about the economy right now. Uh, some of the, the weakness that we've seen in the economic data all of a sudden and the Fed GDP now coming back down to earth. What do you, what, what's it all mean? Yeah, it, it's it's mostly Omicron, right? I mean, you, you, you highlighted the, uh, you know, your Charlotte Bojangles indicator. That's yes. one thing you can look at. <laughs> put, a uh, but, put a trademark on that thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, you know, you can look at broader data. You know, commuters, TSA check-in lines um, or check-in lines. Uh, you can look at um, GPS data. You know, Apple GPS data, things like that. It, it's all down meaningfully, right? You know, I think twenty percent or so mm -hmm. typically is what you're seeing there. Um, and then we saw that weak retail sales number that feeds into GDP. Uh, a lot of people pulled forward their their holiday shopping right into uh, October and November because they were worried about stuff being um, off the shelves. And, um, you know, that certainly showed up in the week December number. But we also are seeing inflation start to bite. Right. We all know when prices go up, you you know, your dollar doesn't go as far. Uh, so that's a factor, too. So, yeah, we're, we're going to have a soft patch in Q1. Uh, but uh, hopefully Omicron peaks. Actually, Omicron in some places is, has already peaked uh, in the U.S. I think New York City is one of them. Yep. So uh, if we can get through this wave like like we saw in South Africa and, and in um, London, where you got a really sharp move up and a really sharp move down, then, uh, you know, maybe in a month uh, we can start uh, picking up speed uh, again and end up with a decent quarter. But yeah, I think most GDP forecasts are coming in around 2% for Q1, uh, certainly a far cry from the five or so we thought we'd, we'd get um, just a few months ago. A great point. I mean, we're about, the U.S. is about four weeks behind South Africa, about two weeks behind the United Kingdom. And again, if you look at how quickly those just soared with the cases, they've come back down nearly just as quickly. Um, so we're, again, getting closer to that um, period if you look at what the U.K. has done. Um, let's see, the retail sales, you did mention them, Jeff, just so people understand if you didn't get a chance to see it last week. Retail sales were down month over month, 1.9%, expected to be flat. That was the largest decline since... Well, I think my handwriting says February of 21 or February. I think it's February of 22. I think I think it's a two. Let's put it this way. Well, February 22, that doesn't make any sense. It's got to be February 21 
February 22 has not happened yet. So I know it's not that, Jeff. So it has to be February of 21. Anyway, very weak number. Um, again, I think the key concept being yeah, Omicron's playing in, but everybody bought all their stuff, I think, for Christmas time and holiday seasons a little bit earlier. I guess you could say, why the economists not project that? I, I don't know, but I think that's what it is. We're just for now calling it a one-off. The consumer has been really strong. We're not overly concerned about just one weak data point with the consumer. The other one, though, Jeff, is the uh, Michigan consumer confidence number came in on Friday. Second lowest number, I think, like the past decade. So consumer confidence also low. We always said, ah, don't worry about consumer confidence. Look what the consumer is doing. If they're out there spending and growing and creating, which they have been, that's what matters. But now we had a weak um, retail number. We're going to you know, we want to see a few more. Um, oh, what did Master Yoda say? One one data point does not make a trend. A trend does not make. And that's it. That's what Master Yoda said. So we want to see a few more data points for that trend to take place. Um, but anyway, we're, we're watching it closely, obviously. So, Jeff, um, now we're going to talk about inflation. And I'm going to get my phone out on a YouTube channel. I've got inflation is no joke. And it is true. Inflation is no joke. Nonetheless, it is the podcast like that fun. Here are a few inflation jokes. Well, let me see if I can find it. Okay, we've got um, 50 Cent. So 50 Cent just had a kid. Uh, they named him after his father, but adjusted for inflation, they call him Buck Fitty. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff, was that funny at all? <laughs> yeah, I think that was funny. I, I, I like it. I'm a fan. That might be the, like inflation, that might be the peak. I think these next two actually get worse. So here we go. Um, remember as a child when air for your bike was free? Now it's $1.50. Um, I asked the gas station attendant why. He said, inflation. <laughs> How was that one? <laughs> Not as good, but uh, that was more of a dad joke. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that is true. Like, you know, my tire, it gets cold in the Carolinas once in a while, and I get that alert on my car, my back right tire. It's only my back right tire. No idea why. Got to go fill it up, and it never fails. You get to the place. Um, they don't take quarters. You got to use a credit card. Somebody using a credit card in one of those things just seems seems a little little shady to me. But anyway, um, it is true. It's $1.50 just to get a little air when it used to be free. My last one's a Tom Brady joke. Let me see if I can find it here. Where, where'd it go? Give me a second, Jeff. I know I've got it here. Um, Ironically, I just put air in my tires last week using a credit card. And I actually yeah. liked that convenience because uh, it, it was actually $2 in quarters and I only had a dollar's worth. Okay. Credit card saved me. Okay, where did my Tom Brady joke go? This is this is embarrassing. I know I had one. Where? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Got it. Had to scroll down a little more. Did you hear that Tom Brady is running for president? His platform is lowering inflation. <laughs> had to had to see that one coming. Um, but the, anyway, it, Jeff, was that a total bomb? Or I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Should we just cut this part out? We'll leave it. Well, I don't. What, you know, do you have I, any inflation jokes? Can you if you could, I don't have any. But if, if you could change that you know i'm in new england right so th yeah. this one hits close to home if you, I know. you change it so you actually use the word uh deflate Ooh. it might be better or deflation right. rather than inflation but it still works i, I actually thought that was kind of funny and uh, i i didn't see it coming there you go. Good, good. All right. So we're going to move forward now because uh, inflation is serious. Um, so, Jeff, we had a CPI number. Oh, came in at 7% 7, uh, 7 year over year, highest since 82. That's the headline. The core was up, um, oh, I think 5.5% year over year, highest since February of 91. No matter how you slice it, it feels like you and I and a lot of other people said, ah, oh, inflation's about the peak, inflation's about the peak. But then I keep seeing bigger numbers. Um, 
Again, we've talked about it a little bit already, but it just doesn't feel like inflation's coming back down. I mean, talk to me. Are we truly going to peak like soon? Do you really do we believe that? Because we've been saying it, honestly, and a lot of people have. Well, what's your take? Sure. Well, I mean, hopefully we we communicated it was coming soon, not that it was already here. True. Um, and remember, you know, if it peaks now, we aren't going to see that peak until mid-February mm-hmm. when the data is reported, right? So, you know, if, if inflation uh, is going to peak in February, we won't know about it till March. So I, I would say that's probably a good base case. Yeah. Uh, but uh, sure, it has uh, gone on a little longer. Uh, than we had anticipated. And some of these, um, you know, stickier parts of inflation, like rents, uh, maybe they were, maybe they started to move higher a little later. And so therefore they're not going to potentially come down as quickly. So um, it doesn't change the fact that, again, there's a lot of temporary factors pushing inflation higher, Uh, whether those peak in, you know, February or March, we're still, as I alluded to earlier, uh, in the second half of the year, we're going to see inflation start to come down. Um, Inflation expectations, which can translate into an actual inflation, right? If people just accept higher prices and think more higher prices are coming, um, hadn't really moved that much. It's still around 3% um, over the next five years. So we would try to focus longer term, uh, you know, not sell stocks because inflation is high now, but think about what the market's going to see uh, in the back half of the year, and it, it's likely going to be a better picture. Yeah, absolutely. So, so some positives, right? A 7% year-over-year inflation, huge number. You know, uh, clearly it's going to become political, right? That's going to be a big part of it. But there were some positives. The month-over-month, though, uh, gain was 0.5%. Yes, that's still a pretty big number. It um it actually was lower than the two previous months, the month-over-month. Month. So we are seeing some rate of change actually increasing. You mentioned, uh, you know, rents and shelter. Shelter makes up 41% of the core CPI. And again, that, that came in a little bit better than expected, up 0.4% versus up 0.5%. I mean, we're picking a straws here, trying to find some positives, but there are some signs there. Uh, as we peel back the onion, as you like to say, Joe, um, you, you, new cars up 1%, energy was down, apparel up uh, close to 2%, airlines up 3%, this is month over month. Furniture, this is crazy, up 17%. That's a big jump in furniture. Um, used cars and trucks up three and a half percent. So used cars and truck prices, Jeff. I mean, maybe you know this. We'll put you on the spot. How much are used cars and truck prices up right now from pre-COVID levels? Do you, you want to just take a guess? Because obviously it's big, given the way I'm hyping this up. You know, oh, sure. Oh, twenty percent. I'll guess. According to what I read last week, Jeff, 52%. Used cars and used trucks wow. are 52% higher last month than they were, we'll call it probably January of 2020. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's like, that's some real inflation, right? You're going to go buy a car? My goodness gracious. I don't know how expensive the car is going to be you're buying, but clearly it's going to cost more. So that's another one that's just had such a stretch rubber band. It's like, it is likely those do come back. And a lot of that, again, is the rental car industry sold all their cars in the pandemic and realized, oh boy. We're opening back up awfully soon. We didn't see this coming. They go back out and buy all the cars at just about any price they need to build back their fleets uh, quickly. So anyway, so some interesting stuff there, Jeff. Anything final on inflation you want to you want to touch on, or we move forward if not? Well, first, cars have a really complex supply chains with a lot of yep. parts from all over the world, and yep. it just takes one problem, and and you've got a real a real mess. So um, that. Yeah, I don't think car car prices are going to translate into much broader inflation across other um, 
categories or at least not sustained um, inflation across other categories. The other thing I'll add is wages are really important, uh, especially as we get into earnings season. It's about 40% on average of companies' costs. So um, I'm going to be watching that one really carefully. We, we need to get more uh, labor supply to help take some of the pressure off of wages. That, that could be a key piece that brings inflation down. It might take you know, a year, but we, we really need help from the labor supply uh, to, uh, to help correct our, our inflation problem. Yeah, absolutely. Clearly, we're going to watch it a lot. We did see PPI also. We're talking about the consumer level. Uh, PPI came in a little soft. Nine, you know, this is kind of comical. 9.7% year over year is soft. It's like the highest number it's ever been, but it was lower than expected. So some minor positives, we'll say, uh, on the producer level as well. We have talked before about some of the ISM numbers we've seen and so supply chain, uh, some of the, the time to delivery. Some of those things are actually improving significantly under the surface. So still a big mess out there, but some positive uh, things are taking place. Um, now, Jeff, before we go there, I will say on the YouTube channel, you can see I, I drank this a minute ago. Hopefully you can see this in front of me. It looks like wine. I'm not at 10 o'clock in the morning drinking wine like um, we were joking before this podcast started. I'm, again, I'm at my mom's house. She, she's uh, stage four breast cancer, has been for six years. And she she swears by drinking like pure blueberry um, really has helped her. It's an antioxidant, all the chemicals and stuff they give her to you know fight it. She swears by it. So I've started drinking some um, pure blueberry. You can buy special from this place up in Maine that makes the real deal stuff. It's supposed to really help. You do anything blueberry, Jeff? You ever drank any of that stuff? I've had just traditional blueberry juice, you yeah. know, like ocean spray or something like that. Right. Um, at times, but no, not nothing like pure from Maine, even though Maine's yeah. very close to me. So she used to take a lot of pills because <laughs> she didn't feel good. Let's put it that way. She's saying she hasn't taken any pills for like two weeks, which that I'll just put it this way. That's kind of amazing because she had all the inflammation and all this different stuff going on. It's all the medicine they give her. Um, but she swears by taking uh, like about four or five ounces of blueberry every morning. And since I'm hanging out with her, I'm drinking it. So I'm not drinking wine while doing the podcast. It might look like wine, just a little pure, pure blueberries. So, hey, check it out. We got some inflammation, some joint issues. Maybe there's something there. Anyway, so Jeff, so let's just move forward here. Um, what should investors do, right? We're talking about rate hikes. We're talking about inflation expectations. We're talking about higher yields. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of a steeper yield curve. You're the equity strategist on the team. You have hinted at this many times last year or so, but what should someone do if they're just listening to our podcast for the first time? How would you construct an equity portfolio in this type of environment? Sure, yeah. As equity strategists, I spent a lot of time thinking about growth value and large caps versus small caps and you know, U.S. versus international and all of that. And, um, you know, we have the most conviction on U.S. versus international right now uh, as a place to um, to focus for, for investors. In terms of style, you know, it'd be real easy to say favor value. Value's done great, right, since uh, December. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be real easy to say, well, we're, uh, you know, we're in a rising rate environment with above trend economic growth that favors value. Um, and it does historically, but you also need a steep yield curve and we aren't really getting that so much right now. So for folks watching, we've got a, a relationship between the yield curve and, and the relative strength of value stocks uh, versus growth. The yield curve being the difference in the 10-year yield versus the two-year yield for uh, US treasuries. And so financials like a steeper yield curve, the point of this chart is to say that the yield curve might not have a ton more room to steepen. And so, you know, value could continue to run here. 
a little bit longer, but we're probably not going to see a repeat of what we just saw. Mm-hmm. You know, these massive gains for value relative to growth for, um, you know, much longer. So, you know, this is really one of the reasons why we're balanced. We think value and growth should be represented in, in, in everyone's portfolios, thankfully, with growth benefiting from, as I said, the yield curve, also really strong secular growth stories uh, on the growth side with, of course, technology and, you know, the, the the fang names or whatever you want to call them now with Facebook's name change and all of that. <clears throat> you still want exposure to that, but you also want the value names, the financials, the energy, the materials, the industrials that are benefiting from the reopening, benefiting from still above trend economic growth, um, and, and they tend to do better in a uh, rising inflation environment as well. Yeah, great points there. I mean, clearly it's been an amazing start to the year, right? For, for energy stocks are up like 50% last year. They're up well over double digits to kick off uh, the first couple of weeks this year. Financials had a solid year. Financials are, again, another group doing well um, as the higher yields have helped, the, helped there. I saw, uh, I guess it was last week, Jeff, that the two-year yield cracked above 1% for the first time since like, you know, COVID, uh, pre-COVID. So again, expectations um, from the short-term yield world are again saying what we talked about in the very beginning, likely Fed rate hikes are coming. Now, Jeff, do you buy this? Maybe if Lawrence are here, I'd ask him, but put your fixed income hat on. Is the bond market forcing the Fed's hand? When you see two-year yields breaking out above 1%, to me, it almost feels like the bond market saying, Fed, you better do this because we expect you to, and we're, we're banking on it. If you don't, we could have, um, well, we could throw a fit, right? We could have a big problem. Do you think there's something there with the bond market making the Fed do it? Yeah, that's fair. Um, the... I mean, it's, it's basically saying that the Fed and the bond market are aligned, though, right now. Yep. So, um, you know, maybe the risk, the risk if they surprise the market in either direction is is probably pretty high. I mean, you could argue it always is high at the start of a cycle or the end of a cycle. I mean, we know markets are really sensitive to that extra hike in 2018 that the market didn't want. Right. Right. That almost ended the, the bull market prematurely. Uh, and we know we got a really quick six, 7% correction when the, you know, the Fed started to scare people in uh, 2013 ahead of the last Fed rate hike cycle, right? Uh, so sure, you, you, could, you could get a scare. The Fed is aware of, of what's going on in the markets. They certainly pay close attention to that. Um, but right now they're not really getting pushed into anything because they see the world pretty much the way the markets do, uh, it seems, three, four hikes this year. Interesting. And remember 2013, again, stocks gained almost 30% um, at that time with that quick taper tantrum um, issue, uh, the sell-off that we had uh, in the middle of that year. But Jeff, let's go forward here. Uh, It's going to be midterms before you know it. It is a midterm year. You kind of talked about the late 2018 in December. Fed did a rate hike, I forget the exact day, maybe December 17th or 18th approximately. Market threw a big fit. That was the final rate hike in that cycle. Market threw a big fit, sold off, darn near had a 20% bear market and missed it by, I think intraday we hit it, missed it just by barely into the Christmas Eve lows. And then since then, I mean, if you remember, wait, I remember going on a TV that from Cincinnati, I was I was up uh, you know, for Christmas holiday and did a TV hit um, and talked about it. Things were pretty scary then. I mean, I remember talking about everything was red. That was the day the market bottomed. Literally the S&P's like doubled since then. It's kind of amazing when you think about, wow, that Christmas Eve low was pretty scary because the market was just getting annihilated. And here we are several, four years later, three and a half years later, um, 
just over three years later, actually. And the market's doubled <laughs> since then. So kind of why you should take a longer term horizon on this, uh, on some of this stuff sometimes. Um, but Jeff, talk to me about midterms. Historically, midterm years can be pretty volatile. Um, we share, are sharing on a YouTube channel this number that you see about a 17% peak to trough correction in the midterm year, the most out of any of the four years. Do you think it's just coincidence or is there something to that? Why are midterm years uh, tend to see the largest pullbacks? Well, pull out one of the biggest market cliches, right? The market doesn't like uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And so when you have, I mean, you could argue that, you know, typically you get as much uncertainty around elections as you'd get at any time, right? Yeah. Because the policies, uh, the policy environment could just do a 180. Um, and, and it has certainly in, in, in past years. So, um, you know, the uncertainty is certainly uh, a big reason why you see these big corrections in midterm years. But this, this one might be a little bit different. Um, you know, maybe I'll get some hate mail for this, but it looks, you know, the average, um, you know, midterm year sees the House lose over 30 seats for the party in, in, in power uh, in a first term president. Right. So that's where we right. are. So the average, you know, don't get mad at me, Democrats, the average uh, is a 30 seat loss and the, the House, what, has a seven, eight seat majority now, whatever right. it is, it's really slim. So I'm just taking the averages, looking back at history, the Democrats could lose the House. And so if the market starts to price that in, pricing gridlock, maybe there's not as much uncertainty um, around that. Now that could change. There's a lot of time between now and November, of course, but um, that might make this time uh, a little bit different just because the house is really, really tight. And on average, uh, first-term presidents lose a lot of house seats. Yeah, like any good wingman, I'll, I'll go even further to take even more hate mail for you. This is, again, the facts, which is point, it's called market signals. President Biden's um, you know, confidence numbers are quite low. And when you look historically, when you have low confidence numbers, your first uh, first midterms, you even lose a little more seats, right? So you look extrapolated out, 40, 45 potential loss with um, the confidence levels where they are right now is 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 possible. And so don't send too much hate mail on us, guys. We're just pointing out the facts. But again, that is likely. But again, that's what the market's always adjusting to. I think it makes sense again. I mean, we you know we just talked about, hey, could the S&P be flat this time three, four months from now? You know, where it is right now? Yes. But does that mean we're going to go sideways? <laughs> Probably not. Maybe a little bit more weakness. I mean, a 17% average peak to trough after, you know, well, let's see, what is it? 29%, 16%, 27% the last three years. I mean, Jeff, I hate to do percentages, but let's do it. What, what do you, what's a percentage chance in your head that maybe we get a 17% correction this year, which sounds like a ton, would be really scary. Everybody would be worried. But it's actually normal, and people should start realizing right now that midterm years, it's it's possible, right? I mean, well, what, what's your likelihood, you think, of something like that? Oh, that, that sounds too big based on mm -hmm. what I'm seeing. So, yep. uh, I don't know, let's say one out of four yep. chance yep. we get we get that. You know, a 10% is likely. After mm -hmm. big years, you tend to get 10% corrections. Right. Actually, you, you average, you know this better than anybody, you average an 11% correction I believe during all up years, right? Yeah. So just on average, you'd say we should get 10, 11. So maybe it's a little bigger than that, but 17 sure sounds like a lot. Uh, but this you know, analysis suggests you buy that dip. So if, if we're down 10, I think you're gonna see us uh, in LPL Research try to buy that dip. No, absolutely. We do multiple team meetings every single week, <laughs> kind of strategizing if this happens, if this happens. The bottom line is if we got a 5%, 10%, 15% um, market pullback, market correction, whatever you want to call it, 
we'd likely be using as opportunity to add. And the key concept, Jeff, I think about the whole thing, let's say we get a 13, 14% pullback sometime this year, which could, could happen, honestly. Um, a year after the lows, and no one knows when the lows are, we're fully aware, but if you find the yearly lows in a midterm year and hold for a year, you're up 32% on average, right? So again, just the key concept we're trying to stress to our advisors and their clients is this, this year is not going to be as easy as last year, right? There's going to be more volatility. You've got Fed height, Fed rate hiking. Um, you know, it's a midterm year. Some economic data is maybe slowing a little bit. Whatever new monster under the bed could show up. Just be aware that's normal stuff that you tend to see during a midterm year. The other normal thing is a year later, you likely are going to be up a good deal higher as you reach that sweet spot of the cycle, the third year of the presidential cycle, which is normally higher just about every single time. And it's not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's about getting reelected. After the election, you pull different levers. After the midterm, you can pull different levers and things that get people feeling pretty good. Um, one way is if the 401k is up a little bit more, right? And it is what it is. Get the economy going and maybe try to get reelected. So just kind of have a, have all of those things um, in your head as we head into 2022 and into midterms. Jeff, what are you watching this week? Any, I think this is about the final thing we'll do. Any Anything on the radar this week that matters to our listeners? Uh, it's a pretty quiet week for economic data, so I'm going to be watching earnings. This yep. is the first week where we get a, a decent number of reports across uh, different industries. I think the exact number is 38 S&P 500 companies. It really picks up next week, but yeah, I'll be watching for that. Um, you know, So far, we've had uh, about a 75% beat rate. That's pretty close to the long-term average. Hopefully, mm -hmm. we can um, maintain that and maybe add a uh, you know, another point to, to the earnings growth rate that we are uh, uh, tracking to. And certainly, as we talked about, uh, I think last week, wages are going to be the big thing to watch. Margins going to be the big thing to watch for uh, corporate America. They just I'll have drink. to hold margins. If they can hold margins, that's a victory. I hear you. I'll drink to that. I'm joking. Hold my, my, my juice here. Take a little swig. No. It has virtually no flavor at all, honestly, but apparently it's good for you. So there you go. Um, so thanks to Neil, our producer, who always um, helps us get this out there. So thank you to Neil. Thanks, Jeff, for a fun conversation. And thank you, all of you, the listeners out there on the regular podcasts or on the YouTube channel. Uh, we really appreciate um, the continued listenership. You know, it is what it is. When markets pull back, we tend to get more views and more listens. We're probably going to have some more volatility. So, you know, when that happens... You know where to find us. We will continue to do this weekly podcast as long as everyone listens to it. So thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week. And who knows? It could be a Kansas City Bengals uh, AFC championship. In that case, Jeff and I would just sit here and stare at each other for 40 minutes and not say a word because we can't talk that week. But <laughs> we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All index 
indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.